0: And our topic today is friendship, which I know sounds a little juvenile to some of us grown-ups because we think friendship was something we should have grown out of as kids. And then you learn all about making friends and being a good friend in kindergarten. But after high school and college, you're supposed to just grow up and grow out of friendship. You're supposed to be a good husband, a good wife, you know, a good spouse and a good parent, a good productive member of society. And if you hold on to a few friends through all that, that's great. It's, a, it's icing on the cake. But even though that's how most of us have been taught to think about our relationships in adulthood, that is not a biblical understanding. Uh, Biblically speaking, your friendships are as important as your marriage and your relationships to your children. Being a good friend is biblically as important as being a good spouse and a good parent. And any other thing you've been told is just just a lie. And sometimes the churches are the ones that, that talk way more about marriage and parenting than we talk about friendship. Um, I want that to change, because friendship is vitally important. I'm not going to say your salvation depends on your friendship, but your experience of that salvation in this life depends largely on the kinds of friends you have um, and the people that you surround yourself with, your inner circle, right? And that's the hard part, is figuring out who that inner circle is. Because when I talk about friends, I'm not talking about just, you know, the barista at Starbucks that knows the drink you like. Uh, You call her your friend. My friend at Starbucks knows my drink. She's not your friend. She, I hate to tell you, she doesn't really care about you at all. She likes your tips, you know. But if she moved on to another coffee shop, she wouldn't even remember your name or your drink. I hate to be the one to the bearer of bad news today, but I think it helps for us to delineate friends from acquaintances. I'm not talking about your Facebook friends. You know, one post about Donald Trump and every Facebook friend you have will abandon you. You know. And, uh, you know, only the ones that are left, maybe after you post about politics, are your real, half the ones that are left after your politics post are your true friends. The other half left Facebook for Instagram five years ago. But the rest of them are maybe, maybe your close friends. Um, I, I hope that all of you can identify those three or four people in your inner circle. My hunch is that most of us can't. I know it was a struggle for me when I was preparing this series, I was convicted, man. I'm going to talk to you all about friendship, and I'm not even that good at it. Um, my, my hunch is most of us know friendship's important. We know friends are good, but I think many of us struggle to figure out who those inner circle people are. Jesus had an inner circle. We know he had his 12 disciples, but within the 12, he had three guys, James, John, and Peter, that he depended on the most. He called them away to spend time together, and he invested in them. And in the same kind of way, what I'm Encouraging you to do through this series is to divest your resources in things that don't matter, divest your time, divest your energy, passion, money, and attention from things that don't really matter, and invest that stuff into that inner circle. Invest your life into the people God has given you, the two or three people God gives you to love and cherish your inner circle of friends. Sometimes it is hard to know uh, the difference between friends and what I call fans. Last week, we started the series by talking about how fans show off. In other words, fans put their best foot forward, they show off for you, but friends show up for you. Um, This is one of the ways to distinguish when you think about the list of people you might call friends. There are people who will show off for you, but there are people who will show up. So those are two different things. Um, The people who show off, your fans, will uh, show off for you as long as it's beneficial to them personally. But friends are the ones that show up. When your life falls apart, when you call, when you need them, they will drop what they have going on and they will come running. And so I asked you to consider who in your life uh, would drop everything in the middle of a busy day or a day at work or whatever and come running when you need them. If you're in search of that inner circle and you're not quite sure who they are, who you should be investing your time and energy in, I'm telling you, the person that comes running and shows up, that's probably a good inner circle candidate. But the question to ask isn't just who would show up for you, is, is, is I think more so, would you show up for them too? Would they call you someone who shows up? Uh, because friendship is reciprocal. So that's what we talked about last Sunday that kind of catches you up and that'll catch you up to today's, uh, the beginning of today's study guide where we, we're gonna shift gears a little bit and talk about a different characteristic of adult friendship. And this is a characteristic of friendship that will only show up during the most difficult times when things go south as they inevitably will for all of us when you lose a job or when you're disappointed or you lose a loved one or life's just kind of falling apart. Those moments in your life when being around you might be risky to someone's reputation or being around you doesn't really net them anything in return, in moments like that when you are not at your best, when other people talk about you and drag your name through the mud, when other people are sending you snarky uh, emails with Bible verses in them talking about what a bad person you are or, you know, snarky comments on Facebook or whatever, those are your fans. Those are your acquaintances. They'll be there for you when times are good. Right? But friends uh, are, are different. In moments like those, fans give up on you, but friends stand up for you. Fans Give up, friends, stand up. I think probably we've all been through a season where we were under some attack, we were under fire. Be it real, you know, life happening to us or us doing it to ourselves or something spiritual. Sometimes we just mess up. Sometimes we use poor judgment. Sometimes we use people. Sometimes we do terrible things. And there's always the time we have to face the music. It's in those moments that your friends separate themselves from your fans. And your friends are there for you like no one else will be. They are the ones defending you. They're the ones skipping the party where other people are talking about you to come and be with you at your worst moment. They're the ones who will stand up for you and protect you. That's what it means to be a Christian friend, someone who stands up even if it means putting their own life or their own reputation at risk. During times like that, fans step back and friends step up. Um, I, I am so glad that this theme of friendship connects with Mother's Day because I think it's so appropriate that we're talking about this element of friendship on a day that we're celebrating good mothers. Because when we think about the love of a good mother... Um, This is the essence of friendship. No one will ever stand up for you like a good mother will. No one will ever defend you like a good mother will. No one will ever protect you or think about doing incredible harm to those who want to hurt you. Like a mother will, (laughs) no one will ever ferociously come to your defense, even when you don't deserve it, even when others jump ship, even when no one else believes in you. A mother's love remains. A mother's love remains steadfast, even when others bail. A mother will immediately become the mortal enemy of anyone who seeks to harm you. Nothing, nothing can ever change that. Nothing you can do can make a good mom stop loving you. Somewhere in Germany in the 1940s, there was one woman holding out hope that inside that little boy who'd made some mistakes, Adolf was still a good little sweet boy, you know. There was one woman, I swear, holding out hope. Like, I know he's in there somewhere, you know. He's made some mistakes, sure, but he's still my little sweet boy. Mothers never stop believing. They never stop hoping. A mother's love never fails. My mom is here today. With my dad over here, uh, being a mother to my kids right now, um, and I think about, I think about uh, the way that she has always ferociously defended me, uh, even when I didn't deserve it. I uh, we I have VHS tapes. If you're under 30, just uh, ask your mom what that is, and VHS tapes of my old uh, basketball games in high school and. In 97, when I was in high school, they didn't have iPhones where you could get, you know, HD footage of every kid's event ever. Um, You had to take a video camera with you. And my parents, you know, invested three of my dad's paychecks in a a camera to capture all of our childhood memories, right? And it was like one of those TV studio cameras too, you know? (laughs) and uh, they had to carry it on their shoulders and record every moment of my basketball games. But what's funny is my dad uh, was a pastor, small town pastor when I was in high school and and my mom was the preacher's wife and everybody knew who they were and everybody always watched you a little bit closer you know, than usual when you're the pastor, the pastor's wife. And, All that uh, mattered, except at my basketball games where the gloves came off. And I've got the video footage to prove it, uh, where, you know, like my mom would, she's the one holding the camera, so her voice is heard most clearly. Man, if if a ref missed a call, like my sweet preacher's wife mom would just lose it. not even sound like like the demonic version of herself, right? Like just, Raph! Open your eyes, Raph! You know, just just coming at him. She would scream at other kids if another kid fouled me too hard. And, you know, uh, other parents would give her the slant eye or whatever. But at that moment, she was not the preacher's wife. She was my mom. And no one was going to hurt her baby. My dad's always been... extraordinary and supportive as well, but dads are a little more realistic sometimes. Then mom and dad would, I remember dad would say, you know, I think you're spoiling him a little bit. And my mom would go, he's, he's a good boy, he deserves it. You know, he deserves what I give him. And then dad would say, I think, I think maybe he's getting a little soft and she would go, no, he's not soft, he's sweet, he's a sweet boy. <laughs> she still calls me her sweet boy on Facebook and in public. I'm 37 years old but I'm my mama's sweet boy, and I'm so grateful. But a mother's love leaves you with some blind spots, doesn't it? A mother's love always leaves you vulnerable to being taken for granted, and I've taken my mom for granted, of course, as many of us have, taken advantage of my mother's love, and... uh, Uh, I I think that's what it means to love with a mother's love is to make yourself vulnerable uh, to disappointment, vulnerable to that kind of heartbreak. But there's something about a mother's love that reveals the heart of God. There's something about that instinct that a mother has to love and protect her children, her babies, that reveals something very important to us today about the heart of God. There is a story from the Old Testament that I think many of us just don't know. And I don't think many of us ever heard this story. It's eight verses in 2 Samuel, which I know you all know by heart, 2 Samuel. I mean, doesn't get much more important than 2 Samuel in the Bible. Um, but I think because it's buried in 2 Samuel, and it's just eight verses long. None of us have ever heard the story of Rizpah. Rizpah was a young Jewish girl. When she became of marrying age, her family didn't have much. And so she was acquired by the king, King Saul, to be a concubine. A concubine was a slave wife, and her only purpose in her existence was to satisfy the needs of the king, whatever that meant, and and her life was not easy. Her life was hard. But God blessed her with two sons. God blessed this young mother, who probably when she got married was 13 or 14 years old, with two sons, and when a mother had children, especially sons in those days, she had a greater sense of security and, and uh, you know, someone to help her throughout her life. And uh, we're introduced to Rizbah in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 3, verse 7. says, now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizbah, daughter of Aiah." And what's happening during this time is that Saul and David are rivals. So Saul is the king of Israel. He's the first king that God named of Israel. But he began well enough, he's lost his way. Maybe he is losing his mind even. And so God has said, David needs to supplant Saul and be the next king. And so they're going at it for years. And finally, Saul is taken out in a battle. Actually, Saul takes himself out in a battle. He falls on his own sword, killing himself. And Arisbe is left as a widow of two boys, a mother of two boys. But in the aftermath of Saul's uh, reign, David has to deal with all of the people Saul upset because Saul was breaking treaties and compromises left and right, just, you know, bowling over other nations, other peoples. And those people are angry and they want revenge against Israel. And some of those people, like the Gibeonites, are threatening revenge against Israel when David takes the throne and Israel is vulnerable. And so David has to take some extraordinary measures to appease his enemies. And one of the things David does is he surrenders Rizbah's two sons to the Gibeonites. It's kind of a prisoner of war exchange, more or less, kind of a peace offering. He gives the two sons to the Gibeonites. This is what happens next to Rizbah's babies. In 2 Samuel 21, verse 8, King David took Rizbah's two sons whom she bore to Saul, and gave them over to the Gibeonites, and they impaled them on the mountaintop. Impaled means probably something like crucifixion, Uh, a hanging but also involving piercing of the body. On the mountaintop, so they were there for everyone to see, and they left them there. They were put to death in the first days of the barley harvest. Then Rizpah took sackcloth and spread it on a rock for herself from the beginning of harvest until rain fell on them from the heavens. She did not allow the birds of prey to feast on the bodies by day or the wild animals by night. When David was told what Rizpah had done, he went and took the remains of Saul and his son Jonathan and the bones of Rizpah's sons, and they buried the remains in the land of Benjamin and Zela. After that, God heard the prayers for the land. Unless you have lost a child, I don't think you can grasp the gut level grief that is going through. Some of you in this room have lost children. I have not. I've only walked with people who have. And I've seen what it takes out of people. It's almost like they age 10 years overnight because part of them died when they buried their child. And RISPA not only buried one child, RISPA lost two children. And not only did she lose two children at the same time, her only two children, she saw them die in a very public and painful way, humiliating way. She saw them hanging on top of the mountain that was overlooking her town. She witnessed all of this. And I tried to put myself in Rizpa's shoes this week. What would my response be to something like that if it was my babies, You know, would I just get angry and seek revenge or just be angry the rest of my life? Probably. You know, I, would I just cower in a corner and just be paralyzed by my grief? Maybe. But that is not this mother's response. Rispa's work, her work as a mother with her boys, is not done yet. Rispa packs a bag and she brings some sackcloth and she goes up that mountain to be with her babies again. And she stays there. The, the story says she puts sackcloth on top of a rock. We don't know if that means uh, the sackcloth was a symbol of her grieving, which it was in Old Testament times. When you were grieving, you would wear sackcloth. So maybe she was symbolizing her grief. I think more likely than not, uh, the sackcloth was a blanket for her. It was a cushion for her on top of that rock because she stayed there a while. And during the day... The birds of prey would come and try to peck away at her son's corpses as they hanged there, and she would shoo them away with a stick. And at night, wild animals would come. Wolves and mountain lions would come and try and, and take advantage and have a meal, and she would beat them away with a stick, scaring them. Can you imagine the ferocity of this mother when she's scaring away a wolf or a mountain lion for them to be afraid of her and to stop coming around she kept vigil there on top of that mountain not for one day or six days she kept vigil there for over 6 months the beginning of the barley harvest is in the spring the first rains of the rainy season would have fallen in october or november day in and day out this mother keeping watch but why you must be wondering why <laughs> to what end what's the purpose what's the point is she just crazy and irrational There's more going on than that. Because in ancient Hebrew culture, like Rizpah lived in, nothing was more important than a proper Jewish burial. Without a proper burial ritual, the dead person would not be able to rest with God. That's what they believed then the deceased would not be able to rest in God's presence or go to heaven or be in paradise with God or however you want to say it until they had a proper burial and a proper ritual of burial. And so when Rizpah goes up to the mountain and for six months, day in and day out, she's fighting away vultures and crows and mountain lions and and, and, and wild dogs. She is fighting... For the eternal lives of her babies. Because not even death can make a mother stop loving her children. Even death itself is not strong enough to cancel out a mother's love for her kids. She is fighting for their eternal place with God. And she will not rest until she is sure that her babies are at peace in eternity. Six months she does this. And finally she gets King David's attention. King David is so moved by her devotion for her boys that he has them removed from the mountain and buried with honor next to their father, King Saul, and their half-brother, Jonathan, who was David's best friend. This was a big deal. And finally, even though Rizbah maybe could never stop weeping, she could finally go home and rest because her boys were safe. But this is the love of a mother that I want us to see and reflect on today because this love is important for us to understand. Because time after time, the Bible says it's this kind of ferocious, no stopping, not even death can cancel it, not even any mistake you can make can stop it. This kind of love is not only the kind of love a good mother loves you with, this is the kind of love that God loves you with. Again and again, we overplay, I think, sometimes the fatherly nature of God. And that's important, don't get me wrong. But look, time after time, the Bible says that God's love is like a mother's love. And that's a little deeper. That's a little stronger. That's a little more uh, instinctual than a father's love. And it will fight for you. In Hosea uh, chapter... 13, it says, God says, I will attack them like a bear who's been robbed of her cubs. Any National Geographic fans in the house today? Have you ever seen an angry mama bear? God says, that's what I'm like anybody comes after you, that's how I feel. That's how I get. You see, God's love should never be sentimentalized. It should never be trivialized. It is not the stuff of fairy tales. God's love is gritty. God's love gets in the dirt and the mud and the muck of life with you. And God's love fights for you. And God's love comforts you. In Isaiah, the prophet says that as a mother comforts her child, so God will comfort you if you can remember the embrace and the warmth of your mother's love, her affection. God says, my affections for you are like that. And again, through the prophet Isaiah, God says, can a woman forget her nursing child or even show No compassion for the child of her womb. And then God acknowledges that some mothers don't quite get it. Some mothers aren't equipped for the task of motherhood. He says, even though some mothers may forget, I will never forget you, God says. I will never forsake you. I will never let you go. My love will never stop. No matter what you think you've done to cancel it out, it will never end. You will always be my little boy, my little girl, my child. This is God's promise through the prophets. And it doesn't stop with the Old Testament either. Even Jesus reveals the maternal instinct, the maternal heart of God when he's overlooking the city of Jerusalem. He knows he's going into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and he knows what's going to happen to him there. They're going to take him down from his donkey and they're going to beat him and humiliate him. They're going to crucify him and put him through the worst pain imaginable. So what is his response? What is his state of mind and his feelings when he's looking down at the city of Jerusalem? What does he feel for these people? Does he feel hatred? Does he feel anger? Does he feel judgment? Does he want to, you know, cast them aside, send them to hell, whatever? No, he says, as he looks down on them from the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've wanted to have you under my wings, safe and secure from harm. How often I've wanted to be like your mother, loving you, protecting you. Under my wings. Even though he knew what was coming. Jesus says, this is what the love of God is like. And I'm not really sure that we get it. We, look, I'll just be really honest for a second. We talk a lot about knowing God. And we think through our faith a lot of the story. And I think that's good because we have a lot of questions. I think it's good to think through the rational parts of your faith. At some point in your faith journey, it's got to move from your head to your heart. At some point for you to really internalize what I'm talking about today, it's going to have to move from your rational mind to your feeling heart. And you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that you are loved by a God who says, I love you more than even the best mother could. By a God who says, my love is like a mother's love on steroids. And there is nothing you can do to stop it. And when you internalize that love, that's when it really clicks. When you realize and come to grips with the fact that I am loved. Not the world is loved. Not the church is loved or the city or whatever. You, you, you are loved. By the eternal, unstoppable, maternal love of God. You are loved. And the reason this matters, I'm not trying to make you feel better about yourself. The reason this matters is because when you realize you are loved, everything else in your life changes. Because when I look through the city of Houston, I look around, even in our church, if I'm honest, at myself, look, I'm a part of this too. We don't quite get it yet. Even when we go to church and stuff, we still live as though we have something to prove. We're still living insecure lives because we haven't quite accepted the security that comes with the maternal love of God. We haven't quite accepted the security that comes from a God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You have nothing to fear. You are mine. When you internalize that love, what you're wearing doesn't matter, what you're driving doesn't matter, how good you are at work, how good you are in relationships. You know, nothing that you're doing to perform for others matters anymore because your only security comes from the love of God. And you have nothing to prove to anyone else, it's freedom. And when you accept that love for yourself, everything else changes. You live freely in the salvation that Jesus came to give you. And that's the story of the whole Bible. It's not all about making sense of everything all the time. That stuff's important. That We always talk about that stuff at the story. But look, at the end of the day, the story of God's love, the story of the Bible, is a love story. You are the object of God's affections. Coming to terms with that is not always easy because we think we don't deserve it. I think it helps us to think about God loving us with a maternal instinct, because we are bone of God's bone and flesh of his flesh. Okay, so when I, when I look at my wife, uh, Giovanna, and when I look at my kids, I catch a glimpse of what I'm trying to communicate this week, because we both love our kids equally, I think, most days. But I, and my kids like being around me, but I'm, I'm the fun guy. And fun guy is great for, for a while. But after a while, fun guy starts to be unstable guy. You know, like fun guy, they're like, when's mommy coming home so we can have nutrition again? Like when's, <laughs> there's only so many chicken wings and PBJs we can eat. Dad, we need, we need nutrients in our system. You know, and, and, and when I see their mother's embrace bringing them stability, security, consistency, their mother's love to them is like an anchor. It gives them their place, their position in the world. And even when the winds blow, if dad's in charge and the wind's blowing, sometimes we just go with the flow. Not with mom. Mother's love keeps them anchored. Mother's love is the foundation on which they stand. They find their identity and their security in their mother's love, because uh, their mother loves them a little differently. Their mother loves them like a mother bear would love them. It is a ferocious kind of love. Sometimes we go to the playground together, we go to the park. The four of us, and when when we go to play at parks, I, I become Giovanna's third child and I turn into a kid and I start to play with other kids. And I play with my kids and I play with all the other kids and all the other parents. are like, dude, you could uh, turn it down a notch and uh, stop trying to upstage us here. We just, we want to check our email and just let our kids play, if that's okay with you. (laughs) Sorry to raise the bar, parents, I'm sorry. Play with your kids, you know. Um, Anyway, um, so. I get into the sandbox, you know, I get into the jungle gym, whatever and Geo stands at a distance, not because she's a distant mom, because she's a mother bear. She stands at a distance so she can get the whole lay of the land. She can scope the whole playground, park, whatever. And she scans every face for any matches to the sex offender registry that she checks <laughs> every six hours. She scopes out the place to make sure her kids are safe. and She always looks for the same guy. She looks for a middle-aged white guy. And I'm offended by this now that I'm one of those almost. And like, uh, you know, I, uh, she, she, she looks for the guy that's there with no kids. Right? Just watching kids. That creeps her out. Okay? One time we're at a playground. This is in Kansas City and uh, she scopes out this guy who fits the profile. He's there, he didn't seem to appear at the park with kids in tow, sitting there watching other people's kids play. This is very weird. It's alarming to her, and he fits the profile, like totally, white guy, comb-over, Carhartt jacket and like uh, Velcro shoes and uh, (laughs) the uh, metal rim glasses or whatever. I'm so sorry if I just described you today. Please, (laughs) forgive me. But she pulls me aside and she says, look, I, this guy over here, he's watching our kids, I don't like it, it gives me a weird feeling. And so, you know, I start manning up, like I, I, I transition from Sandbox Eric to Big Daddy Eric. And so I start thinking, I gotta do something about this. And she goes, would you go talk to this guy? And I go and talk to this guy, and in so many words, I say, do you often come to parks to watch other people's kids play? And he said, those are my three over there. Jungle Jim, those are my three little kids. And I said, okay, well, kids, let's go. It's time to go, you know. (laughs) Let's go find a different park uh, because I can't come back here anymore. Thanks, Geo. This is is where a mother's love gets you sometimes, man. It's uh, always on the attack when others may seek to harm you. And the importance of this isn't to laugh about our moms. It's to understand the lengths to which God will go to defend you, the depths of God's affections for you. Somebody, somebody sent me a video clip of a mother bunny whose little baby was being uh, choked out by a, a poisonous uh, snake, and this is what happened uh, next in this video. The voices that you hear are uh, Asian family that is recording this. So you see the baby got away, baby's safe, you see the urgency of this mother fighting for her babies, kung fu bunny. So look, what I want you to see is that her babies are safe now, but she's not done. Get back down here, she says. I'm not finished with you. I'm going to teach you a lesson before I let you go. I'm going to show you how a bunny can do a backflip. Check this out. Woo! You ever seen a bunny do that before? Think of God's love as anything less than that. You've missed the point. You see, Jesus on the cross was not about religion. It wasn't about your religious salvation. Jesus on the cross was about a God who loves you like that and wants you to know it. It was about a God who doesn't just save you from evil, but he chases evil away. He chases anything away that would harm you in any way because his burning passion and desire is for you to know that you are loved and for you to love others in turn. This is the point of it all. This is why friendship matters so much to the Christian experience because learning to love the way a good mother loves, learning to love with the same love that God loves you with is part of your salvation process. It's part of being free from the things that would hold you back and free from the things of this world. This is a mother's love. It is 24-7. It never sleeps. It never stops. It always shows up. It always stands up. This is the love God loves you with. And until you internalize it, you will be chasing your tails. You will be trying to prove to the world that you're worthy. And all along, God's been telling you that you are, and you have nothing to prove. Here's what changes when you internalize the love of God. Your whole life is changed by your perspective changing. Because instead of doing all the stuff a good Christian should do in order for God to love and accept you, you do all the things good Christians do You love your neighbor and visit the prisoner and care for the lost and the lonely and the sick because God's love is so complete. Because God loved you even when you didn't deserve it. God loved you like a mother, protected you, defended you, even when you had done nothing to merit it. And out of that experience of God's love, your life and your expression of faith changes. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews writes about this in chapter 13, the essence of Christian friendship. He says, Let mutual love continue, show hospitality to strangers, remember those in prison as though you were in prison, remember those being tortured as though you were being tortured. And he goes on, he says, let marriage be held in honor. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money, Houston, and be content with what you have. For is the key word, for meaning because. Because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, he doesn't say, let mutual love continue, honor your marriage, take care of the prisoner, visit those who've been tortured, so God will love you. He says, because God has loved you. You. You you and you and you are loved. Let that experience, that knowledge of God's love change your worldview, your perception, your priorities. And in turn, understand that as an outpouring of God's love, as it overflows from your own heart, it should flow into the lives of your closest friends, your inner circle so that you begin loving others with the same kind of love. Everybody wants to know what's my purpose in life? That's it. Learning to love with the same love God loves you with. Learning to love with the love of God. That is your purpose. Everything else will flow freely from that. You are loved, so love. You are defended, so defend your friends. You are protected, so protect your friends. You have been forgiven, so forgive freely. Jesus stood up for you at your worst moments, so stand up for someone else. And every day that you wake up, give God thanks if you had a mother that loves you. Give God thanks for the friends He's placed in your life, and most of all, give God thanks for His love that never will leave you and never will forsake you let his love fill your heart by the outpouring of that love you will change the world let's go to god in prayer lord thank you for your love that never fails that is ferocious in defending and protecting us that never gives up on us we pray that we would as a response to your love love others around us in the same way with your heart with your devotion never giving up like the love of a mother Thank you for the friends you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.